everyone, it's episode 330 of This Is Whole Life, and guess what? It's a Sunday, and all three of us are here. That's almost unheard of on a Sunday for all three of us to be here, because sometimes it's regular day and not all three of us are here. And this week, everyone should be here in the fact that they hear this message. So please don't miss it. If you did not hear this week's sermon, which was yesterday, today, and tomorrow, you will swipe up in today's show notes, hopefully, and click on our sister podcast, Speaking of Grace, where you can find a link to that message. Because today is one that if you are a Christian or been around Christians, um, for almost any small period of time, I feel like this is a question um, that always comes up because we're in our great question series. This is question. This was number two. This was number two. Here's the question. Just so you have a little, uh, for those that may not be up on the message, this is our question for the week. I hear questions all the time about the great difference between the angry Old Testament God. I can't say that without smiling a little bit because that's, I think we've all heard that. And the loving New Testament God. So much of the Bible is poetic, metaphoric, and prophetic. If it was written by people within a variety of ancient cultures without the benefit of the scientific and technological understandings of today, how can we understand these inconsistencies? And maybe the big one, how literally should we take the scripture? I feel like whoever wrote this got bonus because it was that that's a whole mouthful to start with. And then the end is a whole a whole thing and maybe a whole sermon in itself. <laughs> it was a great question. And of course, I thought we handled it. I say, do you notice how I just said we? we yeah, we, I think we're gonna. I'm happy. Ha- I'm happy to have you be a part of it. That's that's all right. We just gave a little bit uh, away that Randy writes my sermons for me, so that's uh, I just deliver them. Ghostwriter. No, uh, I, I as we're sitting here, you know, I just like to throw uh, Jeff and I into the mix that you know we're part of this, at least on Tuesdays. But when Ken had first talked to me this week about the message and was like, hey, I want to do a menti this week. I want to do a, a, a word cloud. So that already made me wonder what. And then when he sent me the questions, it made perfect sense. Describe the God of the Old Testament and describe the God of the New Testament. And we had a lot of participation online in total, but the differences between first and second weren't that weren't that different, even though there was more participants. But Describe the God of the Old Testament first service. I mean, the first one was strict, and second mm-hmm. service couldn't remove strict from being the big <laughs> word, no matter <laughs> no matter how much they tried. And when you look at these, the size of these words are the number of votes that they got from people. And but the it was uh, the first one was strict, uh, and that one dominated. But then two was loving imagination, three was angry, four forgiving and creator. And five, law above all else and creative were like the top five if you kind of look at those. And I thought that was a pretty, I don't know, that was a pretty positive view of the Old Testament God from what I had been expecting. And then New Testament, of course, like loving, forgiving, kind, merciful. And then number five was a bunch, passionate, love, graceful, sacrificial, and accepting. So, I, I mean, you look at, yeah, they're, they're all good, but look at the difference. Were there any negative words in the New Testament? Um, well, you know, sacrificial. 
No, well, that's just, actually that's a, good, that's a pretty positive one for most of us, Randy. Yeah. That's a pretty good thing. <laughs> that's as close as you could get to maybe. I mean, and, and that's yeah, a good no. one too. Yeah, I'm not going. I'm not going to accept that answer. <laughs> not going to accept that answer. See, he's paying attention. And then second service, Old Testament, loving and strict. Loving came in really close, if not the same as strict. Forgiving, creator, angry, merciful, imagination, patient, powerful, justice, misunderstood, awesome, active. Rigid, foundation, consistent. And then New Testament, loving, forgiving. And then number two was like kind, love, acceptance, merciful, compassionate, uh, mercy, uh, gracious, patient. So yeah, none of those in the New Testament ever got a, a negative. <laughs> but there was less, po- there was more positives than in you the would Old Testament than I would have anticipated. So what does that say about the views of the whole life church? Anything that's anything that jumped out, or th- you thought uh, maybe? I think they all thought it was a trick question, so they were on their guard. <laughs> <laughs> Ken's gonna come back and get us with this. And that's somehow. not unfair to be <laughs> so. So, but uh, no, I I thought you know I honestly thought that probably people were probably at a whole life um, maybe uh, better educated than the average public on this topic already. Um, I felt like people kind of, um, you know, I think overall there was a lot more positiveness than maybe you might expect out of, like, if you were to do a random sample of, of people off the street. Yeah. So, But at the same time, it is interesting to me that there are far more, uh, you know, the New Testament God really on both sides, they only had positive aspects. Old Testament God, there was definitely, you know, the number one strict um, not generally viewed as a positive word. Not that I think being strict is bad, <laughs> no, but it's not, not usually. It's not usually, you know, if hey, if I, you, if I were asking my kids how to describe me, the the first word was strict. <laughs> that wouldn't be my. I'd be like, oh well, I feel like maybe I've been misunderstood <laughs> a little bit somewhere along the way. Well, to your analogy, <laughs> though, we all been to friends? your analogy, the <laughs> if you'd asked them when they were yeah, four and five years absolutely. old. They'd have said, yeah. Dad's yep. pretty strict. I was yep. going to say yeah. the same yeah. thing. I thought yeah. my parents were super strict. Yeah. And, or, or even just that maybe some of the ideas that they had were just antiquated. Not that I always thought that they, I didn't naturally assume my parents were ever wrong. In fact, a lot of times I thought they were right. But I'm like, that doesn't sound like any fun whatsoever. So, like, what, what, what do we do with that then? Because really at that age where you're, starting to find that comprehension you see that you're the in that analogy that your parents are you, oh yeah maybe they were yeah they were right on that one shoot should have listened on that or i i should have done this or i shouldn't have done that but then you you get into that internal struggle and i guess that's the same thing with all parents but when we're in that situation and speaking of this analogy of understanding parents as kids um <laughs> Even though you realize that they might be right most of the time, and you might not find that out till later, but they understand and they lead us in children, like you said, intellectually in ways that are appropriate for us. But does that necessarily apply to God in the same way? I mean, God is all powerful. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the Alpha, the Omega. The you know, He's everything. And so, literally, with the knowledge and understanding that He could impart to us to understand anything but is this or is this just the power of free will because i don't want to i don't want to guide you where you're not ready to go 
or I don't want to give you everything because then is it free will or is it just this has to be a logical progression like we do with our kids, except this takes, you know, 6,000 years. Yeah, well, that's where the that's probably where the analogy breaks down, right? Because we're both finite. I'm a parent, but I'm a really bad parent at sometimes. And I'm also, you know, also a child myself. I mean, you know, those are the things that we, you know, we grapple with as humans. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We have six, uh, 66 books in the Bible, and the Old Testament did a really good job of helping us see a God who wanted to take care of his children and wanted to desire them. And that wasn't nearly enough to understand God, right? It wasn't, it wasn't enough. And Jesus comes and helps us see God a whole lot better. And then Jesus says to us, and then I'm going to have the Holy Spirit, you know, and which I don't want to crouch on next week's uh, talk, (laughs) but you know, I think God understands this progression of humanity and how we, you know, like we see, like you read this text, we see a glass dimly. You know, yeah. it's it's just hard. It's like you don't get mad at your three or four year for old that. for not understanding, yeah. you know, yeah. why why they have to hold your hand across the street. You don't get upset at them for not knowing how to cook you a gourmet dinner. You you just you know that they're growing. Hmm. They don't understand everything, and you know, no metaphor is ever perfect. Yeah, but God repeatedly calls uses the metaphor of being a parent, yeah. and I and I don't think that's an accident. I think it really, at least for me, you know, I don't know if it is for everybody, but for me, it has been very helpful when I try to understand the differences in the Old Testament versus the New Testament to think of it in terms of small children versus growing up children. You just see, and, and for me. When I see it, I can't unsee it. When I look at the Old Testament, I very much see, you know, three and four year olds interacting with with their parents, and I see God treating them like they're younger, less knowledge, less mature, and being a lot more concrete with them, a lot more black and white with them. You're a little bit more protective of your young younger children than you are if the older children, as they get older and know how to handle themselves spiritually. Um, and so, I don't know. That's for me a metaphor that's that's really worked well through the years as I as I look at some of the things in the Old Testament and try to come to grips with why why that way there. Why does it look a little bit different in the New Testament at times? Cool. No, I think the I think the analogy totally worked. It just brought out a bit a few more of those questions, which leads us. In that last sentence, how literally should we take Scripture? And I want to jump to, and then we'll we'll get to questions here in a minute, but I want to jump to one of the whole life reflections this week, because I thought it, it kind of went along with that one really well. It says, what do you do when the Bible conflicts with evidence or science? Do you believe the Bible is right and we aren't understanding the evidence or science correctly? Or do you believe that the Bible is wrong? Or do you have another way of looking at it? Because when you when you think about it that way, the one that always comes up is to me is, you know, do, does it have to be 100 percent this way or 100 percent that way? Uh, Ken mentioned he's a, a, a biblical liter- literalist. And if creation says in Genesis that creation took six literal days, he's going to say, right, that's six literal days. But could it also be true that it took six literal days and 
that the earth is billions of years old in the fact that in Genesis it says the earth was without form and already had deep waters. Maybe it was just sitting out there for billions of years and God was like, well, this is the piece we're going to make the home for humans on. And so then he goes through those six literal days. Now, I'm not here to argue the point one way or the other. But I see so that's the thing, though. I think it's so much fun to talk about this. And yet it honestly is when we get to the point where we come to blows with each other over it, <laughs> we perhaps missed the point of the whole Bible yeah, in the no. first place. And, and for me, whatever whatever occurred there, I believe— I believe, like I said, I believe I believe that literalist thing. But whatever happened there, if I'm wrong, it doesn't shake my faith in God. If 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 I'm not reading it right, and and can we just all admit that there have been times throughout history where the church has said the Bible says this, and therefore science is wrong, and then we we see the science, and we go back and read the Bible again, and we go, wait a minute, the Bible really wasn't saying what I thought it was saying there, and so. That's how you can be a biblical literalist, and you sometimes you can be literally wrong, because you're just not reading it with a understanding of an older adult as you grow and as you mature. You don't understand some things. There's, you know, there's there's so many things that I've read in the Bible that I have grown in my understanding of. It's it's the final one of the quotes that I used that was outside the Bible. I think it was the only one outside the Bible that I used from from Ellen White, one of our founders, and it's two weeks in a row, so there you go. But um, but what I thought was interesting just about what she says is that that we sometimes get stuck on, well, that, you know, we need to go back to the old-time religion. We need to go back to the old pillars of the faith. Well, sometimes, but a lot of times, no. Grow up. It's like, you know, it's like... <laughs> It's like saying, well, we need to go back to that time when we were breastfeeding from our mother. Well, no, you're an adult. That's not appropriate. Right. Don't go back to that. And Paul talks about that. Paul says, you, you he says, grow up, eat meat. <laughs> you know, yeah, you just quit, quit going for milk. Go for some meat here. And so I think it's really important that, that, that we be open minded, that we listen, not so open minded that we, you know, and they just take in anything that Paul, you know, James talks about not being tossed around like a, a ship on the ocean. But at the same time, being open to hearing and reading and reflecting and growing and learning and allowing God to say, hey, congratulations, you're not, you know, you're not doing uh, addition and subtraction. I've moved you into <laughs> multiplication and division. And congratulations, now yeah. I moved you into algebra one. And now I'm moving you into, you know, into calculus. I mean, there's a natural progression in, in all of our lives when it comes to learning. And um, it's foolishness. It's foolishness to look at the Bible and think, well, you know, at, uh, at age 20, I have capped out my complete understanding or I have gone through, you know, I've gone through uh, divinity school and therefore there's nothing more to learn. I mean, no, no other field of understanding thinks that. Everybody, you know, whether you're a doctor or you are a scientist or you're, um, or you're a plumber, you know that there's something more you can learn about the craft that you're involved with. There's, there's a way to to go deeper and learn more. And so that's the part that sometimes I feel like is a little bit discouraging when we get into some of these discussions that people come so dogmatic with with where they're at. They're just not willing. To ever look outside of 
of where they're at and they're not comfortable with other people who are looking outside and they can't say, well, that's a good person. That's a smart person. That's, you know, and sometimes the hardest thing for them to say is, oh, that's a person who loves Jesus. It's, oh, no, you don't agree with me. You don't love Jesus. You don't know Jesus. You don't care about the Bible. You don't care about truth. Uh, You know, some of the people that I disagree with the most, I know they love the Lord and I know they care about the Bible. They care about these things. They're just on their journey. They're looking at things and maybe they're wrong. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're right. But that doesn't have to throw my faith off. Yeah, there was a, um, we had actually, she came down uh, from Andrews University and uh, she spoke about, it was an itch. I wish I could remember her name. And those of you that are listening, if you remember her coming down, but she spoke in regards to some of that, uh, that piece. She called it uh, an implied voice. In other words, an implied voice. And she did done a lot of research on it. And then the preferred voice of God. In other words, God would have rather his children understood him in a different light. And, uh, and, but there was this implied voice and the, and the preferred voice. And I cannot remember her name and I will, I will try to get her. I'll get it. it. We'll put it in the show notes yeah. and we'll see if we can find, but it kind of goes along with that from the standpoint of, I think, I think God, especially, you know, you brought up the idea of here's Jesus showing up in the old Testament and, and we, we've talked about that too, you know, when you hear words like us and in, in Genesis and so forth, but, um, but I do, th- I, I think that there is this this idea that the when we say literal, that word gets us trapped, and it doesn't get us trapped. It doesn't have to get us trapped, because the Bible is a literary piece of work with all sorts of, like you said, poetry, and there's there's an there's allegory, there's, and I think that's the piece that I think we need to realize is that what is what is the whole Bible saying to me about God? And nobody ever sat down with Jesus after he told a parable and said, now, was that true or not? Was that story true? And they're missing the whole point if they were going to argue whether or not that Samaritan was a real guy. Yeah, Have you say, never had that art, that discussion with <laughs> oh, somebody yeah, before? Oh, yeah, all the time. Oh, and all Jesus' stories were true, yeah. every single one of them. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, or don't talk about Job. Is that an allegory or a real story? That one really gets people fired up for some reason. I'm not sure why. But but the other part is, though, I think also as much as it creates that friction, a lot of times it can just create apathy that, well, there's no really way to know. So then there's no really way for us to be sure of what's truthful. And then it just gets brushed off like, well, if God really needs me to know this, he'll put something in my path. He'll, and which might be true. I don't want to discount what God can do for anyone that's diligently looking. I think that's a cop out. I think that is those people who don't want to be literalists who decide, well, I I can't really find out for sure, and so I'm just going to give it. And they don't give it the time that actually the Bible is literally really good at, because you can dig and dig and dig dig. and never, ever find all of God. You'll you'll continue, but you won't won't find all of them. I think the important thing to remember is going back to what Paul said in in 2 Timothy, or 1 or 2 Timothy, the one that I quoted um, you know, where it says the purpose of scripture, you know, we get so caught up sometimes and well, is that true or is that not true? Well, I mean, I think it was true. You don't think it's true. Can we both agree on what the point was? 
can we just both agree that, that the point of that that story, whether it happened for real or didn't happen, it points to something, some way of living, something that God wants us to know about how we should be. And I know that really frustrates some because, well, if it's not true, how to, you know, there, <laughs> there are tons of really great pieces of fiction that I have learned a ton from. And I know that may be hard for some people to, to, to understand, but it's, it's a truth. Jesus, when he tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and he talks about Lazarus and the rich man both dying and, and Lazarus going to the bosom of Abraham and the rich man going and burning in hell, as Seventh Adventists, we don't believe that that story is true. We believe it's a metaphor, an allegory. It's there to make a point about something. And and the point has, when you look at the story, the point has nothing to do about eternal con, about, about what's happening in eternity. The point is, how are you taking care of people right now? The people that are on your front doorstep, what are you, what are you doing? And if you, if you think that the law is what's, what's going to matter and you don't take care of the people that's near you, you're missing the point of things. So anyway, but that's the point. We can, we can look at these stories. And again, I believe those stories are true. But if Jeff didn't believe those stories are true, I think we should both be able to agree on one thing. What's the point of that story? Why is it there? And I believe that, that I really truly believe that all scripture was inspired by God. It was put there on purpose to teach us how to to be good followers of Jesus, how to how to to know who God is, know what He wants for us, and how to live a life that's a, a life of service and kindness and love uh, to those around us. And um, so, anyway, to me, that's part of the exciting part is that maybe as you're reading through a story you've been through in Scripture, you know. Who knows how many times the longer you're the longer you're on this planet, the longer the more you've read and you go, man, I see I've read this. I don't know how many times, but oh, I don't ever remember catching that before. And, And I think that in the quote that you just going back to that real quick before we jump to questions, the last part of of that quote from Ellen White, which said much has been lost because our ministers and people have concluded that we have had all the truth essential for us as a people. But such a conclusion is erroneous and in harmony with the deceptions of Satan, for truth will be constantly unfolding. Yeah. And that should be the exciting part of when yeah. you think you want to cop out or you want to argue. Oh. Let, let's disagree, but let's let's keep looking. Let's keep digging. Let's try to find that piece that might be unfolding. And how cool is it if you – not necessarily that it would bring you to an agreement, but that you would both be looking for the same thing and – and maybe one of you finds something and it may not change anyone's mind, but it brings that new piece. And I think that's the exciting part. And it's a little scary that, you know, what she's saying is that that's in the deceptions of Satan. If you think that, you know, we know everything and that you're just complacent. And so that almost makes it feel a little bit like, well, maybe there's a little bit more importance. I should maybe button that extra button and, you know, go back and be a little more studious in my Bible because obviously it's of great importance. And I think that's the that's good because if if I and Ken mentioned this in the sermon uh, two weeks ago or a week from yesterday, if if you're if you're finding new you know new in a sense revelations or insights, yeah. uh, I hate to call them revelations. We have kind of a weird 
uh, <laughs> yeah, we do. feeling about that word. But <laughs> if, if you're getting insights or if you're like, wow, wow, that's just, I love this picture. If you're getting new insights towards God and it's causing you to be a, a more loving person, and if it's causing you to create new avenues of acceptance and forgiveness, because that's those are some basic premises of the Bible. But if it's causing you to isolate yourself or to marginalize one group of people, then I think that that's where it those kind of things, when we believe that that's the new light that I'm getting, I think that's the part we would probably want to take a pretty hard look at before we call it inspired. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's start with the comments first. We'll wipe those out. and I'll start with one that didn't come in this week. Uh-oh. Oh, did you? Go did I got one. I did. I got it. Oh, okay. I got a comment. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter said, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you this mentioned one. me. You think like I don't listen to your uh. podcast. Uh-oh. And she said, now she said, you can talk about me as much as you want. I just want you to know I I'm am listening. listening to your podcast. So, hey, Kyla. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kyla. I noticed that Kyla was on the stream this week, so I know she's watching church. I didn't know she was listening, so welcome aboard officially, Kyla. I know you're uh, Ellie listens a lot, and even now Heather has started to listen in non-sleepy time so she can stay awake. So we're 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 bringing the females into into the listenership yeah. at the. Yeah, absolutely. So Anonymous said- And by the way, she likes the podcast. Does she? She said, oh, it's really good. Thank you. I well, said, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. Do you really like it? And she's like, yeah, I really do. It's really good. Yeah. Well, there you go. We've been getting a lot of comments. You have the- uh, and, uh, Yeah. A lot of, a lot of pro-us yeah. comments. So, I mean- it's, Well, it's, it's, I'm just it's, trying to give you some credit there, Randy, because well, you're the you. one who produced it. So, good job. I appreciate it. All right. So Anonymous asked, will we be- Oh, not will we be, because that would be a question. This is a comment. We will be learning through eternity, which leads me to believe we may not find out or know an answer to some of our questions until we are in heaven. And I would add to that that it's my belief that it's going to be a long time into heaven before we get into some of our questions. I just think it's going to be <laughs> – I don't think it's going to be like the info dump where you're just automatically like – you know, the something happens when you get your your robe or whatever, and it's like, wow, I now know everything about history. I know everything about God, and it's instantaneous. I think it's going to be more learning because I think God has shown that that's the way he likes to do things, and I think it might take longer than we think. Sharon said, Satan wants us to see God as vengeful, and that will keep us from coming to Jesus. That is why we must always know God is love. His judgments even had mercy. And Sharon has been a absolute rock star in the comments. We have, we had a lot of, uh, yeah, we've had a lot of fun in the, in the chat the last couple of weeks with Sharon. So thank you for being involved and being engaged during the, the worship service and sending in your comments. Okay, Trafina, this is kind of how we ended up before we jumped into questions. Her question, this was in response to the EGW quote. And, well, this is really more of a uh, comment as well. Wow, there could actually be more than 27 beliefs, question mark? Because <laughs> it turns out there are 28. <laughs> I was going to say, there is one more. Oh, well, there you go. Baby. And so, uh, yes, I think, of course, yes, there's there's so much to know. And, and yet I think probably as Adventists, we'd be so wise to boil our 
fundamental beliefs down to a more manageable number than 28. <laughs> Shar wants to know if you guys have any specific tips for deeper studying of scripture that maybe we don't understand, for scriptures we don't understand. How do we approach those if we want to take a deeper dive, tips for that deeper dive? Like if we're, if we're confused already and we're like, all right, I'm going in, anything to do other than maybe good prayer session maybe before you know one of the things i like to do is find smart people that i think know a lot about the bible and ask their opinion on that so i've got a couple people that you know we have zed here at our church who's just really smart and um uh, danny is another great resource and um then uh, our, uh, we'll, we're having a, uh, you know, as, as many of you may have heard, uh, Tammy is going to be retiring near the uh, end of the year, and we have a, a new worship pastor who's been selected who'll be coming in, and her name is Melanie Bachman. She's have we mentioned her name? Is this the first time? This may be the first time on the podcast. Yeah. I've mentioned her name around a little bit here okay. and there, and the board's voted on it, so I think I can Good. safely say it. But uh, anyway, but Melanie's uh, finishing up her PhD in, in uh, homiletics and uh, liturgy, so she's she's a, one of my go-to people as well. When I was, We knew each other up at uh, Madison campus because she was going to Vanderbilt University, and so I would often send her a text message and go, hey, am I on the right track with this, with with your understanding of biblical languages and things? Is that matching up? So that's one resource. There's other, there's Bible commentaries out there that are fantastic at helping you with things. Um, and there's just tons of tools. It's, um, you know, it used to be that you kind of had to go study Greek or Hebrew to, to know what to do with it. Today, there's Blue Letter Bible that can kind of let you look at at how some of the things are set up. And there's plenty of information on the internet to help you understand how to take those Greek words and Hebrew words and, and understand them. So there's that. There's, um, you know, Bible Gateway. That Sometimes I find that reading multiple different ways that the, that the text yeah. is translated so can be very, very helpful. Yeah. It's easy because they put yeah. it all on one page yeah. for and you. And they you also, well, they also do the parallels for you mm-hmm. too. They'll, oh, that's they'll right. give you yeah. three versions lined up yeah. together. And it's really quite insightful that you yeah. you see the the way in which literally it gets translated as opposed to a paraphrase, and you can kind of see the differences of it. But you you do get some really good insights. Another thing, uh, just to give a shout out to them, uh, is the Bible Project. Yeah, yeah, and that's if you want to just kind of get a bird's eye view or like a from a thousand feet up so to speak they give you really good you know understanding of the book itself as to yeah. what goes in why it was written and some of those you can things. find those on youtube yeah those are yeah. fun they're and, really good and they're was well a, done there's another one that just came out while well, they might not it, they, i think they've been around for a while but um heather and i found it and along with ellie on the U version bible app and they animate by drawing the story of the book and so it's like, isn't that the Bible project? Is that, is that the, different? Is that, is that the same one? That might be. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's okay. what Bible project oh, yeah. does that. Oh, that's amazing. When they, yeah. they animate it all in it, yeah. it's easy. I, I don't know. It's For yeah. me, it's a, a, a visual way to engage with well, it. It keeps your mind really, engaged with while they're talking. Absolutely. Yeah, right. that's really good. I want to give a shout out to Tammy Weiss, too. Tammy's been yeah, getting. Tam, that, yes, that's another great resource. Her, um, she's getting her, I think it's her doctorate. Or, she's already got her master's. I well, think. yeah. I think she's working on a doctorate. It is a doctorate, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Lots yeah. of smart people here at Whole Life Church. Yeah, it's it's kind we of do. fun, actually. You have nice. to watch what you say when you get I up front or you get talked to. <laughs> well, Everybody's so nice, though. Keep it in line. That's all right. No, I actually, it's... 
it's been amazing year. <laughs> so <laughs> that's awesome. All right, couple to go. Um, Alicia asked if God inspires humanity in their limited capacity to understand. Can you expect the Bible to give us a complete picture of God? Yeah, we, we we this one I uh, got actually put on our uh, Q and A time, and and oh, so the it? answer okay. is uh, no. Of course, no. <laughs> no book could ever fully um, tell the story of any one of us, much less an eternal God. But what we will say is that the Bible gives us a complete enough picture to know who God is and know what we need to know in order to be in a relationship with him. Awesome. All right, Jama asks, this is a question for the pastor. In light of what you said, what do you make of the attempt of some Christian groups to hijack some of the more problematic teachings of the Bible on abortion, homosexuality, gay marriage, gender dysphoria, and LGBTQ rights, etc., to move our country toward Christian nationalism? And do you think it's related to the end-time prophecies? So I do believe it's related to the end-time prophecies, and I will say I am deeply concerned about Christian nationalism. If you are a Seventh-day Adventist and you don't see that as a problem, you have not been spending much time reading what Seventh-day Adventists believe eschatology with our last-day beliefs, basically, okay? One of our very fundamental last-day beliefs is that Christian nationalism will take over and enforce Christianity or a version of Christianity on uh, not just the population of this country, but will ultimately spread worldwide. Now. Here's the problem with Christian nationalism. We all like it as long as it's the kind of Christian nationalism that we like. It works really well when it goes right along with my beliefs, but the problem is is when it doesn't go along with my beliefs. What happens when uh, when it when it differs from the way that I view the Bible? When when we read the Bible in different ways and we see things different ways, well whose whose perspective wins? Well, when, in a Christian nationalist perspective, it's the majority wins and the minority loses. And to me, this is one of the fundamental parts of America that that made this country something special, was that people could come here and believe what they wanted to believe without the government telling them how they had to worship, when they had to worship, what they had to worship. And it is deeply problematic to me when we hear certain politicians spewing things like we need to get rid of this whole ridiculous uh, separation of church and state thing. Yeah. As yeah. if as if as if that's as a if that thing. wasn't a you know, it just shows a real lack of understanding of history of of what this country is founded on. And if I sound a little fired up on it, I am because I'm really concerned. I'm really, really, really concerned with some of my good Christian friends who are buying into this idea that this is a a Christian nation that should be run in a certain way. I have no problem saying that there are Christians in this nation. I have no problem saying that many of the founders of this country had strong religious convictions, and many of them did not, and many of them had very strong convictions that other people's convictions shouldn't be forced on them. And so... Um, today, I'm just I'm just going to beg you. If you're listening to this and that's that's your perspective, really think hard about it because it works well as long as it's going your way. As long as it's as long as the people being persecuted are the people you don't like or you disagree with theologically. But it becomes very problematic when the when the wheels changes rapidly and the things that matter to you 
are suddenly on the no-no list and and that that's being forced on you and you can't worship the way that you believe God wants you to. Um, and so, you know, I um, <laughs> I am very concerned with with how the Bible is being used in that place. I think that it is up to churches to go ahead and deal with theology, and the government should deal with with government things and what what's the common good and protection and that sort of thing. And I know that's a big debate of what that looks like. But let's go ahead and just, you know, I would love to stay. And that's the thing. Somebody will say, well, Ken, don't get involved in politics. I will stay out of politics as long as politics stays out of Christianity. But when politics started co-opting Christianity and taking those beliefs, then I absolutely not only have a right, but a responsibility as a pastor to speak into that and to say, this is this is nonsense, and it, and it needs to not be happening. And uh, it's deeply disturbing to me some of the things that I see happening in this country right now, and the people that the people that we're putting on pedestals, as if they're some sort of like they're great Christian leaders and 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 defenders of the faith. These are not people that are faithful Christians, and the rhetoric that's coming from them should be your first clue. Yeah. Well, and, and by the way. For those of you who think I'm picking on one party, I will say that's for both parties. No, 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 no. I, I so if you if you think it's just one party, you're not doing your yeah. homework because tyranny is tyranny, no matter what side yeah. it falls on. And when you see uh, both of those sides uh, doing the same thing in this, all of a sudden it's getting to be cool to be Christian, and you have to start wondering why. <laughs> and and then the like exactly what you're describing starts popping up. Yeah, I I think that that's that's been the problem is we've. We've created a um, a bit of a a bias that there is a particular party that has the religious uh, f- favor or God's favor, I should say, and I think that's uh, I think that's a misnomer. I mean, I just I feel like as soon as you villainize a particular party or group of people or whatever, um, I just finished watching the. The, the Holocaust special that yeah, was done by that. that was that done by um, George, uh, Burns. Burns. Yeah, uh, fascinating. You know, when we see history and th- and we see how you can very quickly take a narrative and make it to whatever you want it to be, and then call it a religious movement or call it uh, in God's favor, and that happens on both sides. That that does happen. Um, but I just, I really think that there is this uh, really dangerous thing that's going on right now. And we need to, we do, I, I'm right with you, Ken. We need to protect who we are as a nation that is literally free still for all people to worship as they please. Yeah, I know there's some stuff they have answered. They're like, hey, bring on that Christian nationalism because then Jesus will come back. And, and, I can understand the logic of that. At the same time, I think that we always need to stand up for love, kindness, and what's right. And I, you know, in my own personal understanding, I believe that that, that this is inevitable. That that's where it's headed. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to fight it every step of the way because I have a lot of people that I love who I don't know if they they have that relationship with Jesus yet, and I just want to do everything I can to to 
be a part of sharing Christ with them, the real Christ um, that they can be in that relationship with. And and I don't I don't live in fear about this either, though. By the way, well, I'm gonna I'm I don't I just don't stay awake worrying about it at night because God's in charge of this world. In the end, God is in charge, and that's just my bottom line bottom belief. It. Yeah. yeah, it never works out well when we try to take no. uh, no. God's agenda on our side. And it just ends up being us doing a lot of hand-wringing yeah. and a lot of worrying. Yep. Uh, one more, Jesus regularly said, you have heard it said, but I say to you, if Jesus was making adjustments to what biblical writers understood in the past, does that mean there may have been an impact? An Im- does that mean there may have been an imperfect interpretation of God's actions by some biblical writer? Yeah, but what's always interesting to me is Jesus takes it deeper. <laughs> Jesus doesn't usually be like, oh, don't worry about that. Jesus is like, well, you know, you heard it said that if you commit adultery, you know, that yeah. if you have sex with a woman, that that's breaking the commandment. I'm telling you, if you look at a woman with lust, <laughs> yeah. then you're breaking then you're the commandment. So Jesus rarely makes it easier. He usually makes it harder. harder. And the whole point of that is you need me. You need me. You cannot do this on your own. And as we'll be talking about in our next coming sermon, you need Jesus, but you actually need the Holy Spirit. So we'll. <laughs> well, they, you know, they, it's so interesting because Jesus knows what they're getting at. They're, they've found loopholes through all of those things that just it took advantage of everything that was. And he goes, No, you guys are missing the point of what that was there for in the beginning. Yeah. The man trap. There's, I mean, there's, there's so many different ways to misinterpret scripture. Um, and. Uh, by the way, for those of you looking for a good book, uh, there's there's several good books called Misinterpreting. I think it's Misinterpreting Scripture Through Western Eyes. That's a fabulous book, and it it should, um, it, uh, if you read it, really kind of remind you that no matter how much you want to say that you're reading the Bible, um, just as the Bible says it, that it's almost it. I want to say it is impossible not to read the Bible without your cultural filter. Yep. taking it and skewing the way that you look at things. And so uh, I challenge you to read books like uh, Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes and some of the, um, I think there's another one that's reading Scripture Through Middle Eastern Eyes. And there's, um, I think, uh, there's just any number of books that will help you see the Bible through the cultural lens that it was written in. And, and it's just very helpful to, to recognize, wow, I thought I was looking at this just straightforward with no, you know, with nothing there and then you're like, oh wait, no, I am letting my understanding of American culture influence how I read the Bible. That's awesome. I was going to skip it, but I'm going to do it because I think it's important. At the end of Ken's message, he he gave the final word to Paul, and I thought it really wrapped up everything really nicely, and it put it into a context that even if you're not sure all the time about everything, which none of us are, I thought this really wrapped up nice. In 1 Corinthians 13, he quoted, When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And if we always figure out 
we get lost in the rest of it and the details. The greatest of these is love. And the three that endure are pretty good. So that's kind uh, of a mic drop right there. I know, that's right? Good. It's like yeah. uh, when he said it that way, then it's like, oh, well, First Corinthians 13. I'm like, what does that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Good job, <laughs> Ken. Good job. All right. This week we're into question three. Shin, I, I guess let's read the question and just let everybody simmer on it. We're We're a little earlier than normal, so let's do it. This week is, I understand that God is found in Trinity as Father, Son, and Spirit. However, it seems that most Christians and most churches are only comfortable talking about and seeking an experience with the Father and Son. Why does it seem like there is hesitancy to fully experience the Spirit when Jesus told his followers that the Spirit was going to be our closest connection to God? How can the church most faithfully engage with God's Spirit in private and corporate worship and the first thing I thought of was when do when do we hear the Holy Spirit? The only time that most people talk about the Holy Spirit is I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we dunk, at least here in Adventism. I, but but it's true we don't talk, and so I guess we're going to find out why yeah. more this week, aren't we? Yeah, we've we've we're probably I'm looking forward to it actually. Uh, I am. Too. We had a in the '80s. You guys don't remember this, but 70s and 80s, there was huge Pentecostal push towards the spirit, you know, life in the spirit. And boy, all Adventists just held up their hands and said, no, hold on. We don't believe in ghosts. (laughs) Or tongues. I think uh, I've been working on my uh, my sermon a little bit today, and uh, I think think this sermon is going to be titled... uh, Uncomfortable with the comforter. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah. That's good. So. All right. Well, definitely don't miss don't don't miss that. And if you missed this week's message again, this is something that we think about. We talk about whether we talk about it a lot. We think about it. I, at least I do. So don't miss the message. Swipe up in today's show notes. And if you have anything. Any questions, as always, 407-965-1607 or podcast at wholelife.church. Thank you, Kyla, for letting us know that you're listening. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, I'm uh, I'm just, I'm happy that we and Randy, have that connection. Yeah, and Randy, I think before we ought to go, we ought to pray for you. You're headed out to California. Yeah. You've got a family member who's who's pretty sick right now. Yeah. And, um, um, and so I'd like to pray for you. Are you okay with that? Yeah, I'd appreciate that. Heavenly Father, we just want to pray that you give Randy a safe trip uh, out to California. We thank you for the work he does here on the podcast. And we appreciate that he would take the time to make sure this happens before he heads out to take care of a, a loved one. And I pray that you would uh, be with that situation, as I know it's not looking like it's going to have a good outcome. And so I just pray that you would be there with him, help him to be an instrument of your peace, give him peace, give him courage and strength for a person that he loves in his life. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. So here's to editing on a jet plane. And free Wi-Fi at the uh, at four-hour layovers, maybe. <laughs> but anyway, uh, and uh, God willing, and the creek don't rise and the hurricane don't hit, I'll be back on Thursday, really early red-eye Thursday morning. So, all right, guys, have a great week. 